This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 135, about The Punisher, season 1, episode 13, Memento Mori. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 135 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are looking at the final episode, episode 13, of The Punisher, Memento Mori. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, back from my latest Punisher Warzone, the Hell on Earth hospital visit, I'm Chris. Welcome back, Chris. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you very much, guys, for... Plugging the hole that was our podcast schedule last week on a last-minute basis. Not a problem at all. Enjoy talking about the uh, the six Marvel movies that are coming up this year. Six, yes. If you uh, if you listen to our podcast immediately after we made it available, there was only five on there. But uh, it was pointed out to us that there are six Marvel movies coming up, so we did fix that. Um, that was fun. It was really good fun to uh, to be able to chat yeah. that. But it's always more fun to have all three of us here talking about the Punisher, Chris. So delighted that you're back and feeling a little bit better, hopefully. I am. I feel a bit like Iron Man. I am augmented at the moment uh, with uh, lots of wires and drips and things like that. But uh, I could not pass up the opportunity to come back to our fellow defenders and give my view on this last episode. Excellent. excellent. Brilliant. Coming directly from his hospital bed is Chris. Yes, just like the Punisher, but less bruised and battered from what I can see anyway. Exactly. Yes, and I presume that you had uh, more than homemade DIY medical attention as well. I, I did, and I was, as you said, severely less battered and bruised as our poor Frank was coming into this episode. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I had a doctor just trying to get an IV line in, so by the end of it, I did look a bit like Jigsaw um, <laughs> with all the different holes punk- poked in me. Mm-hmm. But overall, towards the end... They got there, and yeah, no, Frank still looked a lot worse. As long as you didn't have the Invisible Man bandages around your head, uh, I'm sure you didn't look too much like uh, <laughs> poor Billy Russo. Yeah, no, thankfully I didn't. Um, but, guys, I've been dying to talk about this. I think we should kick off. Absolutely. Uh, one note that I just want to make before we start the podcast. I know that quite a few of our listeners over on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts have been listening to us through the Punisher on Defenders TV podcast over on Apple TV podcast. Just to let you know, this will be the last post that we'll have on that particular feed. So if you want to listen to more of our thoughts about the Defenders and about the movies that are coming up this year, you need to resubscribe to Defenders TV podcast. Just search Defenders TV podcast over on, on iTunes or just go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and you'll see a link to click uh, just to find the Defenders TV podcast as a whole. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting for possibly two years for the next episode of The Punisher. We know we've got season two coming, but... Yeah, I think so. I, I I know we've got more coming. But don't forget, guys, you can also come over to our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast, where, of course, we will always be updating that group with our latest and greatest podcasts. Uh, be it, I believe the next one, gentlemen, is the Black Panther. It our, certainly our is. On the Wakanda journey that it's we're going from New York to Wakanda. Mm hmm. Um, but yes, so join us there. 
But even when there is no podcast, we always are sure to update everyone with the latest MCU news mm-hmm. as we think. But we want your thoughts to come and engage with us and the other fellow defenders. Yep, absolutely. Derek, kick us off with some of the episode details. Yep, this episode was written by Steve Lightfoot. We have noticed over the course of all the Defender shows that we've done that having the, the showrunner of the show writing the final episode and the first couple episodes does kind of show you that their guiding hand has been behind it the whole time and that they knew where they were going all the way through it. It's only really happened once in one of the shows where a showrunner stepped away from the show before the end of the season. <laughs> I think we know which one that was. Yes, yeah. unfortunately. Um, the dishonorable mention of Iron Fist, unfortunately, uh, where the showrunner there went off and did something, quite frankly, even worse. Ooh. Uh, with uh, Inhumans. And I don't think Iron Fist was actually that bad, no. uh, to be honest. I think it uh, obviously suffered maybe from budgetary stuff and, and the time, you know. But uh, yes, he went off and did the Inhumans. And if you've ever seen it, well, well done. Because <laughs> you didn't finish it, did you, John? No, I yeah. didn't. There was a hair cutting scene that I frankly um, couldn't believe. <laughs> but anyway, enough about Inhumans. The, the good thing about having Steve here, it did show, as you said, Derek. It showed he knew what he where he wanted to start. He knew who where he wanted to end. Mm-hmm. Most likely, there was probably a writers' room going. Here's the top five point each character needs to hit these are the war journal entries for each of these characters yeah go forth and make it happen um <laughs> it's good to see that he brought this series to a fitting end absolutely i think that's the best way of putting it yes he put he put the punisher where we expected him to be and um he was again and you could probably bring us into this he was joined by a fantastic director who we knew has the chops to bring it forward. Yes. Or bring it to a hold, I should say. I don't think there's a more favorite director that we have for our Defender shows other than Steven Sergic, who directed this episode. Uh, what do you think, guys? I know that I know there's been directors that have stood out in each of the seasons with their own episodes. I know Rosemary Rodriguez, when she was working on uh, Jessica Jones, really stood out as a great director. I know having Riza over on Luke Cage was a great director. But yeah. Steven Sergic has directed at least one episode of every season of The Defenders, and also is starting to guess the finale episodes of all of these shows. So- Absolutely. I was just about to say he um, directed the finale episode of I'm Fist, Dragon Place with Fire. He, he also did, a.k.a. The Sandwich Saved Me, mm-hmm. which in Jessica Jones season one, which is still what I consider one of the best episodes out there. If you remember, this was the cafe scene and... The one where we saw Jewel costume mm-hmm. and things like that. I loved it. It had some nice nods. So he 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 has good pedigree in this Netflix universe, if you will, from his Daredevil chops to his Luke Cage chops. Yeah. And then obviously he did Ashes to Ashes in the Defenders as well. Yes, yes. One of the one of the best episodes of the Defenders, episode six of uh, of the Defenders, really really good. Yeah. Yes, and one of our favourite directors and the writer and showrunner for the entire series of The Punisher working together. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. 
As the authorities close in on Frank, Micro and Madani race to get him away from their former headquarters to get medical help from Madani's father, who saves Castle's life. After his ordeal, an exhausted but unbroken Frank vows to put an end to the war that has consumed his life. In the meantime, Russo makes good his escape to Anvil, where a bottle of scotch, DIY bullet removal, and a bag full of bills promises a new life, but not before his unfinished business with Frank. He finds Curtis to track Frank, but is surprised as Frank is one step ahead. After reaching a deal under sniper fire from Frank, Russo agrees to meet him to end their feud. Russo chooses the carousel in Central Park, where Castle's family died. As Frank and Russo confront one another, Madani is shot by Russo after tracking Castle's phone. As Billy and Frank continue to slug it out, Frank eventually gets the upper hand, but chooses not to kill Billy and instead smashes his lovely pretty face into glass, forcing him to live with major disfigurement for the rest of his life. Castle is taken into custody while Madani and Russo are taken to hospital. Three days later, Frank is given a chance at a new life by Raffi and Marion at the request of Madani. After several hearings and debriefs, Russo is held to account for his crimes in Kandahar, Lieberman returns to his family, and Frank joins Curtis's support group for veterans. For the first time in a long time, Frank is scared. I'm going to save that final point of that synopsis for a little bit later on in our discussion for the episode. I know that's your favourite bit, isn't it? It absolutely is one of my favourite moments of the entire season, to be honest. But we'll talk about those later on. You love that bit, don't you? <laughs> you want to marry that bit? <laughs> if have I could. Bits babies and a little side tweet. <laughs> Trending subplots. You love to take that bit on holiday. I like it. <laughs> Showed a good time. But gentlemen, let us jump into our top five war journal points because there is something I am dying to talk about. That is point one in our war journal. Billy is burning his past and oh my God, is it good. Isn't it amazing? Certainly is. Certainly is. As my good friends Lonely Island said, you need to light a fire and walk away as the explosion happens to look really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely. It was like um, seven like dispensable Homeland Security agents <laughs> and a massive firework show. I have to say now, um, yeah, New York had massive firework show in this episode of The Punisher. Not only did he like blow up a block, but also, even later on, Frank sending off like the grenades uh, in Central Park. You wonder what people walking their dog must have thought in Central <laughs> Park, to be honest. I know what you mean, but I think there is a, a very 70s vibe about this show. There's a very kind of different view on New York, a bit of an older view on New York as well. So it, it's entirely possible that they're kind of basing this a slightly different reality to the way New York would be at the moment. I am sure there would be many, many screaming people in New York, even at that time of night. Yeah. You know, the, the kids are only closing up the carousel for the day. That's probably seven o'clock in the evening in New York. <laughs> Um, I think you'd have, although the cops do arrive very quick, actually, in, in the episode, they arrive very quickly after the battle between um, Billy and Frank. But yeah, they'd probably come down much quicker if you're setting off like huge explosions in the middle of Central Park. But I have to say the swagger that Billy Russo has as he, you know, sets the the torch effectively to, to Anvil's headquarters, the swagger is very very cool it's very it's cool. very cool yeah. i really really like it one 
I, I found out that myself and Billy shop in the same shop, IKEA lamps all the way for his office. <laughs> so I was I basically was watching TV and then turned around and went, We have the same taste. I Fantastic. It. I love it. It's pretty um, pretty boy Chris, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The I the just the overall scene this I, I loved him closing shop and I the only way to kind of mm. I could put it in my head, it was basically shut he was shuttering Anvil. The the, the six slaughtered <laughs> agents. Yeah. I was a bit like, okay, is someone not going to miss? No, no, okay, right, fine. He just basic. I was expecting more than they know how bad he is. Mm-hmm. So the fact they sent just the six or seven agents in, I was like, as he walks away, I'm like, and the rest of them, okay, nope, this is good. We're getting <laughs> what we want. But over all of this, the bit I loved was the face to face with Curtis. Mm, like definitely. this, this was fantastic. Waking Curtis up. I think we talked about this before. The actor who plays Billy is so good. So yes, he's good looking and has the Marvel abs, and everyone's happy. So he looks the part, right? He looks the part of Billy Russo. Mm-hmm. Prior the pure evil that kind of drips from that scene where he's talking to Curtis. Oh yeah. It's a kind of just they're like you. How long did you know Frank was alive? And the, the bit that got me was this: like when he starts going, even when we were, even when we were talking about Frank over his uh, grave, and you can see Curtis kind of nodding, going, "Yes, like this is, this is true." Like that for me was just such a fantastic point. Um, and seeing then that scene devolve into that f- beautiful shot. With the the coffee mugs. Oh yes, a fantastic moment. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It just it was a perfect setup. I thought it was going to come every time he opened the, the curtains, and as he, I was expecting it, expecting, and then it didn't happen. I was like, okay, so maybe they're not going this way. Maybe it's just going to be like he's going to kill Curtis, and then it happens. I was like, oh yes, this is this is the Frank Castle. This is the Punisher we were coming to expect. Yeah. 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 It's funny just before that as well. Um, I thought there's really like beautiful establishing shot of that moody sky mm. over New York city yeah, where it then goes from that, um, into, yeah, seeing Billy Russo kind of watching Curtis wake up in bed, which is not creepy at all. No, no. Um, uh, and reach for his gun. Billy Russo's already been there. Got his gun. Yeah. But I, I absolutely love that kind of tense uh, atmosphere in um, Curtis's apartment. Mm. And yet, seeing the curtains drawn, it was like, okay, what's going to happen here? And yeah, Frank's that kind of one step ahead. Um, and Well, Frank and Curtis together as well. I didn't really expect that this is, what, this is the way it was going to go down. I thought that there would be this moment between the two of them, uh, him coming back to Curtis. I think I actually mentioned a few weeks ago that we had all of our major characters together in episode 11, and I forgot that Curtis was still around, sadly. I thought that Curtis's story was kind of done, but of course Billy would have his way into Frank would be through Curtis. Um, cool to have these two characters together again in a much more adversarial uh, position, obviously, than we've seen them in the past. Um Curtis is fantastic in this scene. I love this fact that obviously Frank knew exactly where Billy was going to be going. Um, so he set up this whole plan with, with Curtis. You don't know how long Frank has been sitting outside that window with the sniper rifle trained on the window waiting for those curtains to open. Uh, it could have been one night. It could have been two entire days, you know? Definitely. I mean, the really interesting thing is I, 
I love Curtis because he's so matter of fact and down to earth. You know, you've kind of got Billy here really taking it personally that he didn't tell him about Frank being alive. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, he's asking him, you know, did you know? When did you know? Why didn't you tell me? And Curtis simply like turns around and says, well, he asked me not to. Yeah. So I kept, I kept that secret. Nothing personal or anything like that. It was simply that I was asked by Frank not to do it. And I loved how Curtis was just kind of just so himself still, you know, calm under the the pressure of effectively having a gun pointed at him in his own apartment. Yeah. Really, really liked that. Um, and then obviously he gets uh, shot and uh, everything goes slightly bananas. I think another great shot in in this um, scene as well was where Billy dodges the bullet as he kind of runs for cover um, underneath the window, and then he turns to shoot Curtis. I thought that was beautifully done. I loved the trail of the bullet coming through the window and just it missing... Uh, Billy's head but you know Billy's there with that presence of mind from his training to turn around and and shoot Curtis Uh, just really good and then you get that kind of standoff happening yeah yeah I think we've mentioned a few times that Steve Lightfoot came from a background working in Hannibal for for many years with uh, with Brian Fuller one of the most beautiful and violent shows that's ever been on television. So I think he's learned a few things from from that. Uh, I know Stephen Sergi didn't work on that show, but this moment, as you say, this moment of pure violence as the bullet pierces the coffee cup, that moment of realisation in Russo's face as he realises that, oh, damn, the reason why those curtains are open is because, well, Frank must be outside as a sniper. Uh, nothing's really been said. Nothing's really been done to give away what Curtis's plan is. But... Billy just has that moment of realisation. And as they always say with the best types of artwork, show don't tell. And they really show very well in these scenes what's going on in Billy's head. Completely agree. Um, I, the bit that wasn't explained, or it hasn't been explained, is how the Punisher, or how Frank knew Billy would be there. Mm. So they did Frank just camp out all night on that roof, which we can come to expect from Frank. Well, yeah. Yeah, like he probably was sitting there all the time. It could have been. Moving, it could have been a week. You know, yeah. it, it's it's one of those things that he definitely made this arrangement with Curtis to be there. Curtis knew exactly what the plan was going to be if Billy ever turned up, and Frank has to expect that Billy's going to turn up at Curtis's door. So, hopefully, it wasn't that long. Poor Frank sitting up on a roof after uh, after a couple of days uh, under the knife and, and a couple of days being taken care of. You'd hope that he was like at least had lots of liquids with him and you know a packed lunch. But he still had all the bruises and so on. And I mean. At the end of the day, you know, Frank was watching Curtis from uh, a distance. Yeah. For a long yeah. time in the shadows. Speaking of uh, kind of creepy things, let's get on to uh, <laughs> point two in our war journal. That wasn't um, creepy. Which, that was lovely and so realistic. Really, it really <laughs> is. When you're in a small safe house, I mean hotel room, what is the sexiest game you can play, gentlemen? Go fish. There you go, because apparently that is the sexiest game on the planet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Family Lieberman reuniting as Michael gets his reunion with his wife this time. Some reuniting more than others, dare I say. (laughs) Yes, I I do think the kids probably should have been in in a different safe house and probably the policemen as well. Yeah, those poor cops and those poor kids. Um, Obviously, the safe houses that are provided by uh, by 
Department of Homeland Security aren't exactly that big. It's a very, very small it's department. It's pretty cramped. And I have to say, after all of David's posturing to Frank uh, about how amazing he is in bed, and that's why his wife would never leave him for, for Frank, we got, what, 50 seconds of pleasure after a year of waiting? Yeah, it you know, was I, short and sweet, and it was it's it, it's it fab. Was, it was cool. I it must was, say, it's fab. It's 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 really realistic. I suppose after this entire time of the two of them being apart, that that's what they just want to get their hands on each other after all this time. Yeah, whatever about the family reunion. These two have been together since they were you know childhood sweethearts or twenty year old sweethearts. They've been together for years. They just want to get their hands back on each other, away from the kids. It's a great little moment, but. I love when Sarah just kind of taps him on the shoulder and just says, don't worry about it, it's fine. As if, don't worry, we've got the rest of our lives together. That's this moment between the two of us means everything when we're just being close. It's, an, it's a really sweet way that she, that she, she and, and David are, are back together again. And you've got Micro's sexy, tight, white briefs as well. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the setup of this uh, because the way that they come into this bathroom, you do think that she's going to tear a piece off David, you yeah. think that this is going to be a large argument or it's going to be the end of their relationship. Uh, she's like, I can't do this anymore, yada, yada, yada. But what you get is this touching moment, which is she's shutting him up. She He tries to say something and she just pulls him closer and she just wants, they just want to be enveloped in that moment. And then unfortunately, yes, you get tidy whitey shots. But you get the, <laughs> you get the really beautiful, realistic scene which I think all of hopefully all our fellow, fellow defenders can understand, which is you're trying to take off your jeans and nope, he's having to pull one leg at the same time as she's trying to hop off the other. Uh-huh. It was, it wasn't one of those very Hollywood stylized where everything just suddenly stripper pants where it all just falls off. Yeah. No, no, no. She's wearing skinny jeans. So it's a two man job to get those. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very different from Madani and uh, Russo earlier in the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is not about the sex. This is about the closeness of these two characters. Yeah. Just wanted to be together and be be close, like a, a husband and wife. I think the other aspect of this safe house as well was the reunion with his kids. You know, playing the card game, and, and you know, it's that realization from his wife just how pleased the 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 kids are to have their father back mm-hmm. as well like really really nice yeah yeah absolutely uh, let's get on to case note number three from our punisher war journal adina madani standing up to the system you know one of the things i really enjoyed about this finale of this of the punisher is that each of the members of cast really get a nice big moment uh, amongst themselves and Dina madani having that moment with marion and rafi uh, in the room where she's telling them everything that she's learned and why they can't take her apart for what she's done in releasing Frank. It's just a great moment. It really feels like she's developed this confidence over the course of the 13 episodes. Definitely. I think I think her character in this series just absolutely grew and shone, and I really hope that she's back in season two. I really do hope that they make Dina Madani a permanent character in this series. Yeah, absolutely. And, and is one of... Frank Castle's touchstones in the same way that Micro is. Um, I've really enjoyed her portrayal. I've really enjoyed her bouncing off Raffi, her superior, and Marion from the CIA. I've really enjoyed that. I love the fact that, you know, Marion and Madani are probably more alike than they would care to admit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do like the fact that she turns to Raffi to say, you know, 
I think I'm warming to it. I think that's really good. Can I just say, I love the moment that we're introduced to Dina Madani's father. There's no reason why we all thought that she didn't have a dad or that their the mother and father were separated or anything like that. But the opening line that he says is, do you know who that man is? Which is exactly what I was thinking the first time I watched this. Like, Who's that guy? Oh, of course. Obviously, she has a father. Everybody has a father, right? That's it. Who would have thunk it? Like, I was like, okay, they kept that quiet. But there was no need for him to have even been mentioned for the entire season. There's no reason for them to even have had a conversation about the father. So, of course, she has a father. It's kind of cool that he's a doctor and is able to help out Frank. But, um, but I did really like that moment. So, question. Wasn't mentioned that... Her dad was a doctor previously? Father, I don't remember. Her father was never mentioned because Dina was being taken care of by her mother after coming home from uh, from Kandahar, after dealing with all the things that were going on. So it really is the kind of conversations you do have with your mom, which is, you know, your mom's there to take care of you. She's not mentioning the fact that, oh, no, dad hasn't mowed the lawn this week because he's been too busy in the private practice that's been going on. It just seems a bit realistic, you know? Well, I actually, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm kind of going, they should have previously mentioned that her dad was a doctor. Right. Like, dad, I, yeah. To basically a one-liner going, your dad will be around later. He's stuck in surgery tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Something like that. Passing line, we wouldn't have thought anything more of it. But yeah. then it makes sense when it gets to this point. Exactly. Because if there was a crisis moment where they needed a plumber, her dad would have been a plumber. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh no, the Punisher's pipes aren't working. I'll (laughs) call my dad. Well, actually, his pipes weren't working in this either, as we see with the very amazing draining scene of his lungs. Um, But yeah, I'm with John on this, which is like, yeah, they should have previously mentioned passing her dad was a doctor rather than go, lads, we need a doctor because pretty much Frank's dead if we don't find a doctor. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, hold on. Let's just make one up out of thin air. <laughs> well, that's what writing is all about. <laughs> no, I am, I, I am genuinely joking. Obviously, all the things that Dean has gone through during this season, you would have expected that her father being as close as he seems to be to Dina because she just brought the body of a, a known terrorist into her home filled full of gunshot wounds. Uh, and he takes it on and just deals with it, you know. Uh, obviously, they are very close. So, yes, you would have expected that earlier on in the season when she lost her partner everything else that was going on with her after her being beaten up, after her uh, going through the things that she's gone through throughout the season, you would have expected her dad to have shown up at some point. But knowing that he's a doctor does mean that he works all hours of the night, so he may not have been able to get out of work. <laughs> yeah. Stop being a, a Madani apologist here. <laughs> this is what you're becoming. And I sound like I'm cutting on this. It's not. I did enjoy the scene. I thought it was well done. There's a couple of minor things that I would change. But one of them was the mother going... He's a known terrorist, yada, yada. You can't treat him. We can't have him here. It's against the law. Typically, in these types of scenes, what you would usually expect is when someone is being the antagonist going, oh, we can't save this man. He's a terrorist, blah, 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 blah. The doctor would always turn around and kind of do a very much bones in Star Trek situation going, I'm a doctor, goddammit. I took the Hippocratic Oath. I have to save everyone. <laughs> you, you expect them to fall on that because that is what happens. Mm. Like, a doctor... And now my assumption is, is once you take the Hippocratic Oath, you're you're basically saying to the world as a doctor that I will try and save any human life I can. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the fact that he just did it probably is that. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting that the conversation that was had between um, between Madani's parents is that some people are called freedom fighters, some people are called terrorists. And then she has that conversation back to him saying, but in the past, we don't choose sides, um, which is quite interesting. That's kind of speaking to their past in uh, in Iran, where uh, Dina Madani's from and where they're where they obviously emigrated from and moved to America to get away from a war is what this very small conversation between the parents seems to suggest. So it is more about the fact that he's a terrorist. Would you treat a terrorist? Not about the Hippocratic Oath. It's about well, we knew people like him in the past. And of course, I'll treat him because I did in the past. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm conceding the point there because that was actually a fantastic line. Because what you, you again, you're setting a precedent. And again, the one, the one of the things that I'm going to bow down to, um, to Steve in his writing on this is that a lot of these points that you consider huge bits are passing comments mm-hmm. pushed very lightly into character actual dialogue versus the narrative yeah where you would expect in some other shows more like a now i like my cw shows i'm not bragging on them but sometimes they are they they are very let's lead you along yeah it's kind of will spell everything out for you yeah it's joint it's painting by numbers absolutely yeah exactly but that's why he's Steve Lightfoot, not Steve Heavyhand. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> that is perfect. Overall, I thought that the writing in this scene was fantastic. And I, I like that we see how was Frank going to be kind of saved. Yeah. He healed up quickly, though. He does. And he, he's fairly, he, you know, he is exhausted. He is beat up. But he is unbroken. Um, I, th- I think another great line in, in that scene in uh, the Madani's flat is where he's putting on the purple shirt and, and Micah <laughs> just kind of says, the color purple suits you, Frank. It matches your eyes. Because, I mean, <laughs> you know, he puts the sunglasses on as he walks off. After, you know, yeah. Madani's telling him, you know, make your make use of this chance that I've given you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> he looks like he's just been on about 50 stag dudes on the trot or something. Cause he's got the sunglasses on, you know, he's slightly damaged around the face mm-hmm. that you can, you can really see. Uh, but I, I love like- that exchange between him and Micro. It's just it's one of those nice little moments uh, between these two characters. Yeah, it does look like he was on all three parts of the Hangover movies, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With a couple of MMA fights while he was over in Thailand, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, I really do like this. And I love the fact that David also gives him a way out. There is a moment here where this could have been the end of the season where effectively... David gives him a huge wedge full of cash that he's stolen from bad guys, as he describes to uh, to Frank, and gives it to gives it to him and goes, "There's your way out. You've got thousands of dollars there. Take yourself out of New York. Get yourself sorted. Take back up your old moniker." Dina Madani says, "You're sorted in my eyes. You're gone. Go get yourself clear." Um, but Frank doesn't take that option. Frank has to go after Billy. He really does, uh, I think, leading us nicely onto our war journal point number four, Frank versus Billy. Mm. At the Painted Ponies, Frank meets Billy, uh, where they look to finish this thing at the place where it all started, at the Central Park Carousel. Yeah. Great to bring it back to there to that moment, and great to have that flashback, I think, uh, seeing Billy with Frank's family yeah. as well, and um, just really to 
sort of hammer that home, how much that Billy was a part of Frank's life and his family's life, and that whilst he was involved in it, he knew about it and didn't have that marine honor to warn his you know his partner in 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 the unit it's kind of interesting thing you know that you know billy through this episode you know when he gets up in curtis's apartment and salutes frank even when he speaks to curtis you see him doing this kind of marine code yeah yet the one moment that it matters and he should have stepped up uh, to protect you know the soldier be- beside him frank he doesn't yeah. He he yeah, yeah. he lets it go, and that I think is where uh, Billy Russo and his code is all that front. Um, but this is great. I I think the painted horses on the carousel are like really like yeah, it's that proper like freaky grin from a from a horse. Yeah. Uh, plus, you got the two people um, like bleeding out, um, and I I love Billy just being so uncompromising with them. You know, like shut the. F- where I'm going to shoot you, all this kind of stuff. Um, he's really not going to take anything from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then really, you know, that that fight, that sort of Central Park commando of, of uh, not going commando, I hasten to add in Central Park, although I'm sure there's plenty of people that have done. Um, <laughs> he, you know, Frank coming, approaching the the carousel and the theme park, uh, in that way, it was just really well done, and I, I like the way um, that you know you've got this fight whilst the carousel's going round, um, and yeah, like you know, it it twists, turns, loads of different elements to it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. I got uh, I, this is definitely something that you see in revenge flicks. It goes back to where it all began. Um, the fact that it's going back through a different show through through season two of Daredevil, uh, where where Frank and his family are gunned down in Central Park, you know the fact that it's going back through a completely different show is is really interesting. It's something that obviously has never been done before on a, on a TV show where you're jumping across to a completely different show to show something and taking it back into the central finale of these two characters together. Um, really enjoyed it. Really. Uh, excited by the scene I think the battle between the two of them we've seen so many battles throughout the season so many fights throughout the season but having Frank and Billy feel special and what they've done throughout this episode which we didn't really mention in our in our first point about Billy burning his past what they did in this episode was really show how tactical a person like Billy is how much planning he's put into this He's chosen this place and set up this location for Frank to have the memories of his family and for him to be on the be on the back foot, really coming into the situation against Billy. So, um, so it's quite it's quite a, a, a cool idea to have the two of these guys going face to face. We always knew what happened throughout the season. We've been talking about the character of Jigsaw that that Billy Russo becomes in the comic books. We've been talking about it back since episode one, slightly hiding it uh, or not uh, as the episodes went on. But to see this creation of them, to see this this moment between the two of them where they finally get to throw down, and it's pretty brutal. Yeah, no, I have to say, I had a bit of target about them slightly rewriting this. They're retconning this pre-scene to the, that Billy was there earlier that they, like, I don't know. I was a bit like, oh, so they're, they're writing him into that exact scene. And I don't think they did. What they did was they, they this was a scene maybe earlier that day or the day before. They were showing that this place was special 
but also a special to both of them. Yeah. So straight away, I was I was then put on the back foot, going, "Well, what are you doing? Hold on, are you rewriting this? This actually Billy was there all along? No, that's not what they did." But then I, I agree that Billy doing this it was the only place it should could have ended. If this had have ended in a warehouse or something or like that, they hadn't taken. They missed an opportunity, and they they did the right thing by doing this mm-hmm. and putting it in this area. Yeah, I loved that you started to see as the Billy had set everything up, and the kids were bleeding out. Like that was, as you said, it's very tactical. Yeah, this man, he he's a he's he's tactical. I think yeah, it's probably the best word. Yeah. He he he's very structured in that he wants to do everything that he's done. He wanted to do it in a way that put him on the upper footing. Yeah. Could he have done more? I was thinking about it and went, yeah, maybe like if he had access to all these other things, why not have put a few like mortars or not mortars, claymores around. Right. If you knew that Frank was going to go, then I went, Oh yeah. It's central park in the middle of New York city. Yeah probably couldn't and it's impossible to put a claymore front towards enemy when it's sitting on a carousel going round in circles <laughs> that could well it could have just been a bit of a like oh no see how this works wait wait oh no it's facing me oh no no it's actually that would have been cool or if the little picking part of me wants to come in here uh-huh. it's that you know, when he has effectively just disarmed Frank, he doesn't shoot him in the head, but uh-huh. instead shoots him in the bulletproof jacket that he's wearing. So um, that's hours of army training well spent there, Billy. <laughs> I think you deserve your your mirror face and your cheese-grated pretty looks. That was brutal. That it is... was pretty brutal, but he certainly could have finished it off definitely yeah yeah i certainly had i certainly had some options but we kind of knew this was coming with the creation of jigsaw the character in the comic books is created by him being thrown through a plate glass window this time we've got a broken mirror with his face scraped down every single inch of that that is definitely the creation of this character jigsaw as frank says above him you're going to learn about pain. You're going to learn about loss. When you look at that ugly, mangled face, you're going to remember me. Like these are, this is what Frank is doing to him. What I love about this, we talked all the way throughout the 13 episodes of the season about the com- commentary that they're making on gun control in America, the commentary that they're making on uh, people coming back from war, post-traumatic stress syndrome, people coming back and trying to settle into real life or different life from the army. Um, this commentary to me feels like almost the death penalty versus punishment argument you know there's people like myself personally who agree with the idea of putting someone behind bars for the rest of life to make them think about what they've done sending a thousand volts through somebody's head or twenty thousand volts through somebody's head and killing them means well then the pain's gone the idea of what they've done is over leaving them wallow in that punishment to me is far a better choice than the death penalty and i think after lewis ended off in death rollins ended off in death this choice to keep billy alive isn't just a choice of, well, we got to bring that character back for season two. I think this is the right choice for Frank where he is right now. I think it's that moment where he becomes, well, I'm going to punish you for what you've done. I'm going to make you live with the pain of what you did to other people. And you're not going to be able to rely on the fact that you'll be able to just pick up a woman and forget all your troubles. Uh, you're going to have to deal with being an ugly bastard on the outside like you are on the inside. It, it's, it's that great choice, I think, in this, in this scene. 
I'm I'm in agreement with you. Yeah, me too. This shows the character growth of the Punisher. Mm-hmm. So the Punisher up until this point has been death is the only form of punishment. Mm-hmm. He ha- he hasn't given vengeance uh, or this form of punishment before. Everything has just been violence and death. Kill it, kill them all. So this kill, kill exactly kill kill them all. This is now, no, I'm going to make you hurt as much as I hurt. Mm-hmm. When I woke up in the morning and he the, he echoes and it's the callback, which I love, to where he's like, every morning I wake up and I see my kids and then I remember what you did. Yeah. And then it's like, you're going to wake up in the mirror and look at the same. And like that I thought was brilliant because it shows he knows he was seeing things, but he's doing this. It's Punisher's character growth him growing as a person if you will yeah, yeah. growing as a vigilante i'm gonna make you feel what i feel but you're not gonna be able to handle it is almost the way yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. i i did love and i think i want to go back to john's point which was the shot or the, the the guns like straight away frank is shot in the leg yeah like this is uh, straight away i was like oh this is getting interesting because what you are getting are two different types of Fighters, if you will. Mm-hmm. You have a very live, swift character in Russo. And then what we have with the Punisher is this hulking, to a degree, hulking guy who just takes punishment. Yes. He takes it and takes it and takes it. And then is able to use that to feed his anger to, to keep good driving forward. Yeah, it's like a tank versus a paladin in D&D, right? Exactly. Well done. I'm Absolutely. quite glad. It's pretty, pretty spot on, actually. Um, Except there was no tanks in D&D, I just realised. Uh, <laughs> you can have brutes or warriors. Brutes versus barbarians. Paladin, that's what I was thinking of. I just loved that. What we see is the, the guns are thrown away and then the knives and we get a knife fight. and it's Frank is bleeding and shot in the chest and in the leg and it's just consistent pain that Frank is being put through. Yeah, yeah. But that kind of leads me to this next point because it, when Billy still has the gun, there's a part of me that I just don't understand. Hopefully, you guys understand this. How the hell did Dina find out about the carousel? Was she tracking Frank, or did Frank send her the location? There's something going on. There's definitely something going on with her phone, where it buzzes when she's just doing her report on Frank and her computer, her phone buzzes and she's able to track a location to Central Park. Whether her father had implanted a, a micro-tracking system on Frank when he was sewing him back up or whether Frank sent her the location, I actually didn't know that. I didn't know which one it was. Yeah, I mean, I actually felt you, you heard her phone buzz and I was thinking, is that kind of a message coming mm-hmm. through or is it kind of like a notification? You just don't know, but whatever... She is tracking Frank because he's sent her his location or she has him pegged through his own mobile phone. You do see him on the phone. So I do in uh, as he's commandoing through the the jungle in Central Park. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt he had sent her 
the location. But Does he not know anything about a SIM card? Take it out of your phone so it can't be tracked? Like he told the, <laughs> he told the kid about that. Right? Exactly. And that's, he's not a 13 year old girl. <laughs> and I think that's why he's not necessarily being tracked. But I mean, whatever the case, um, the irony is, is that Dina heads to the fun park, but it's not really much fun for her. Um, <laughs> as she gets shot in the head. Like, I was surprised she was still alive at the end. Well, ultimately. We shall talk about that. Yes. And well, maybe with that, Excellent segue. Yes, excellent segue, boys. Let's let's take it into our next point. Yes, the aftermath, mm. our fifth and final war journal entry for this series of the Punisher. Yes, three yes, days later. Three days later, Dina is still alive. I really did uh, worry about her because it seemed as though blood was pouring from her head, and you know, Russo in an instant uh, aimed for her head. Uh-huh correctly but didn't do it with frank so it was kind of interesting uh, to see that but i'm glad she's still alive oh yeah uh, for sure and i love um just the fact that frank kind of does get the second chance from marion and raffi when he's there visiting or he's he's brought to visit um uh, Madani as she's recovering in hospital. But just quickly to the bullet shot to Dina's head. So Frank picks her up in his arms and it looks like a pool of blood has already pooled underneath her head. She's had the shot to the head and he picks her up and, and takes her in. I was really surprised it was just two black eyes that she had from the obviously impact of the weapon uh, shot at her. It's not something like she's got brain damage. She may not remember all of this in the future or anything like that. It's just a real surprise that she is as functional as she is. She's sitting up in bed and talking uh, three days afterwards after the shot to the head. So that's why I was really surprised that not only is she back alive, but she's out of a coma here. Yeah, it could just be a deep graze. Could be. That's what I was expecting from the way she spins and the, the, the wound that you saw and then the, the where the, the dressing is. What it's leading to me to believe is that she the basically the bullet grazed so it kind of like mm-hmm. shot to the, the the side and skimmed from the front to the side. So kind of didn't crack anything, didn't give her a concussion, just kind of cut her out, knocked her out, yeah. Yeah. and kind of that's what it was. I'm very happy I've not seen anything like this in real life because that amount of blood that was coming from her head from a graze would be enough to uh, to make me run for the hills. Um, let alone if she'd actually been shot in the head. So I would not be a person to call for JFK's death, really. No, no, you would not. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk about what Frank has told. Yeah. Let's break this down. Basically, to ensure that an international incident does not happen, they're making Pete Castiglione a free man. And then within the next breath goes... Mr. Castle, enjoy your new life. And they say, Mr. Castle, I'm like, no, 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 no. Which is he? I know. Is he, is he Frank Castle or is he P. Castelloni? Give me one. Because I was like, are they just going to say that Frank Castle is dead? Or are they going to basically kill off the Frank Castle persona to the public? I think I, I think the point of the scene is to be confusing. I think, I think the point of it is that they're saying you're a free man and that's all of you. That is P. Castelloni. That is Frank Castle. You've done your service for us and for the country, and in return for your service and your silence, you are completely free. Nobody will be looking for Frank Castle or Pete Castiglione again. I think it was, it's almost as if Marion was telling him two things at the same time uh, uh, about his freedom. So go off and enjoy your new life. Your new life is 
completely clear of your old life. I like that. Yeah. What I want in season two of The Punisher, because let's be honest, we know we're getting it, yep. and we can assume there's some threads being laid down here, is this is going to be Agent Punisher, almost. He is now, in to a degree, in the pocket of not just Homeland Security, but the CIA, and he's got then Madani. That's how they can keep Madani. Madani becomes almost like his handler. Off the books, Frank Castle, the Punisher, the Wetworks guy, does the jobs that they want nothing to do with, the plausible deniability, home turf, that kind of thing. I like the idea of that, where it's like, we have a problem too big and too dirty for ourselves. Ah, the A-team again. Well, um, <laughs> can I, I would like that, absolutely, if we just hadn't had a series where that's what Rawlins was doing. Touché. Because Fair otherwise, <laughs> then, effectively, Frank becomes um, Rawlins. Well, we did point out... Esque, in a way. Oh, sorry, Marion in the CIA, or Madani, I should say, becomes Rawlins-esque in sending out people to keep things under under wraps. But we did point out that the the thing that Rollins was doing wasn't the problem, him killing off high-level targets for on behalf of the government and doing them shadily. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that he was cutting open the bodies of army men and stuffing them full of heroin to support his own life, um, that he was using the, the wet works that he was doing to support a heroin trade that was going on under the guise of these black ops missions. So... There's no problem, kind of, with black ops missions as far as the US government's concerned, as far as the international governments are concerned. So they do need somebody to do that now that Rollins and, and Russo are gone and Anvil's now presumably burnt to the ground. So that's not going to be in place anymore. Uh, I don't think that Frank is in the pockets of Marion or of or of Ravi, but I do think he'll be working with Dina in the future. I think that's a great connection that he now oh, has. Oh, definitely. Uh, that, I think that that would be cool for season two, having that moment where she's going that gang that you're after, Frank, this is their movements, this is their location, you need to take them out. Uh, so she's another kind of sphere on top of Micro, if Micro ever comes back. Yeah, I really liked how it ended with Frank going to Curtis's uh, group as well. And I must say, I did absolutely love Curtis's line as Frank comes in where he goes, Frank, I've come to the conclusion that you are a shit magnet of the highest order. <laughs> what a great great line that is uh really enjoyed that derek over to you yeah it was great seeing that moment with curtis and this is as i kind of mentioned earlier on this is my favorite moment of the entire 13 episodes of the punisher ending a season of 13 episodes of the punisher i just didn't expect that this is how it would close out frank has the world opened up to him pete castiglione has the world opened up to him he could run off he could go and live in carolina he could go and live in europe he could go do whatever he wants to but his choice is to go and join Curtis's support group for the first time. We've seen him talk to Curtis throughout the season after his support group with other uh, other people. Um, we see him sit down, take a seat at the table, effectively, of all of the ex-Marines and ex-military people that have come back from war, have come back from these terrible experiences. And our final line of the entire season is, I'm scared. Did anybody expect that that's what we were going to get after 13 episodes of The Punisher was the Frank Castle sitting in a circle of military members supporting each other saying, I'm scared. That was a total shock to me in the best way. It was the right placement for this character. 
it's the right way to treat this character and it's just a, a beautiful way to end a series like this which has had so many great highs for me in terms of what it was trying to say and what message it was giving and the many different messages and the many different arguments it was putting forward for all the different sides of what's going on and it comes down to one man sitting in a group needing support from his former comrades and saying i'm scared i need help yeah and it connects quite nicely to the first episode which you know i think at the time we were saying and you know what wasn't going to set the world alight in terms of what it was saying but he was scared then that's why he wasn't interacting with people like the the kid who ultimately saved yeah you know he had no outlet or he didn't want to have an outlet for what he was going through mm -hmm. uh, and then in the end he has this with curtis's group uh of veterans where he's with his military peers who have gone through similar things yeah at least on the battlefield i like that they make the punisher throughout this series more human because a lot in the comic books what you have is the punisher being the stoic one-man army he's the evil captain america if you will he does he does the wet work captain america i think he became captain america it was like, what, an undercover Captain America? He was the dark Captain America? Something like that. At one point in the comic books. Um, anyway, the reason I'm saying it is because they're making him human. Yeah. Like, that line alone, how do you live in the silence when the gunfire ends, showing a man who is broken, knows he's broken, mm -hmm. accepts his place that he is to live and punish those who are have been bad, decided not to go to his wife and kids in the afterlife and just accept the peace yeah. because he had jobs to do. And then those last two words, I'm scared. Not I'm alone, which is the interesting bit. Mm -hmm. And the bit I think breeds the, the great segue into season two, which is how does a man who didn't want to work with people, who is scared, accept the help and the friendship of other people. Yeah. So having Dina, having Micro. Now, he, he didn't attend the Liebman's homecoming dinner, which we thought would be a nice way to kind of end the series, which you're saying like Frank there at the Thanksgiving table with the Liebermans. Yeah. And like, we thought that would be a nice way. He doesn't do that. He's trying to cut his ties. And I think what they're going to do is show this man now who – who do you punish if you've punished everyone? So in his head, he's punished all the people. His war is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, he's done what he set out to do, which is avenge the death of his family. And now you have a man, as like the gunfire has ended. Yeah, and that's maybe. In his head. Yeah, and maybe that's why he can now attend Curtis's group. Exactly. But it's also what drags a man who has accepted that back into the war. Yeah. Like, I, that's what I'm really interested in. You've basically given a man the end of his, his mission. He's finished his mission. His, his tour is over. He is home. There is, but he's home to nothing. And he doesn't want anything. He doesn't want Dina. He doesn't want the Liebermans. He wants to be alone. He wants, he, he wants to just go to this group therapy and this is what's causing him to question and be very open which is yeah. he doesn't know what to do yeah but i think it's that moment we've talked we talked previously on the podcast about 
this also being a very similar situation with alcoholism and with drug addicts. It's this point where Frank has actually reached rock bottom, which he never thought he would reach rock bottom by avenging the deaths of his family. He thought that that would be putting him back to being in a normal life. Part of the line you were talking, you were mentioning earlier on, Chris, where he says he's talking to the group and he's finally sharing where he is as a person. And he's saying, uh, how do you live in the silence when the gunfire ends? Part of that is, I guess that's what you're working on, is what he's saying to the group. Effectively, the rest of them didn't go out. And when they got home, they had a bad situation and they went out and shot their boss or uh, shot their girlfriend or anything like that or shot somebody that wronged them. That's what Frank did. And Frank had absolutely understandable reasons for doing so and taking his uh, his hatred and anger and revenge on the people around him. But none of the rest of these people in the group did do that. And I think this moment with Frank is where he's on that realization that I've accomplished the goal that I set myself after my family were killed, but it hasn't achieved what I wanted it to achieve. I found out that my best friend, one of the closest people to me in my life, was also turned on me. Um, how do the rest, how do other people deal with this situation? How, maybe there's a better and a more constructive way to get there. It's the perfect cap on this season, season one. I almost would have preferred not knowing that there was a season two coming. There are threads here that can be taken into a season two, but I do think this is a really well-rounded story of the experience of Pete Castiglione going to war, coming back, his, his family being killed, him going on a rampage, and then realizing a rampage isn't what he should have done. He should have gotten support and help for where he is in his situation. And now he's found the right place to be. It's a nice ending on that story of Frank Castle. He's a comic book character. He's the Punisher. There will be a season two. Obviously, there's going to be another reason why he comes back out of that again. But I, I kind of like the place he's left in here. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement. I, I, I think this is just a, such a fitting end. Mm-hmm. Harrowing. I think is yeah. that, I think I like that term. That word seems right to me for this. Mm-hmm. In that it was ne- we were never going to get a, a singing daisies um, shawarma uh, table kind of restaurant ending yeah. to this. And I think it's just, a, it's a nice, this is the only way it could end. But I think we all expected the, the homecoming dinner at the Liebman's. We expected him to walk in through the door and then they all sit down and it's Pete again with his new family around him. I think we'd, we'd all thought that's what was going to happen. That moment in the car when he says to David, I can't go in and you understand why, right? Um, yeah, so- it, it's really good. It, it doesn't go down the tropey ending in that sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, it, it makes... David Lieberman coming to his family home, knocking on the door, that more impactful. Um, okay, his wife Sarah is looking where it was Pete. Um, but I have to say, I thought it was just so cool with his kids sort of hugging him uh, at the door. I thought that was really nice. I think it also makes that distinction of these two characters um, within this series. You know, Lieberman had his family alive and was away from them, uh, kept himself away from them to keep them alive, to protect them. Frank has lost, is away from his family, is, has lost them. Um, and it's a, it's the same but different. They're both out of arm's reach but for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and so they have a lot in common as much as being um, quite different. Uh, and I think these two endings kind of just re-emphasize that fact that you know, Lieberman is reconnected. Re- the re- he has this reunion with his wife and his kids uh, and, and the dinner, uh, whereas Frank can't. He just can't, and he has to 
make himself a, a, a new family in some mm-hmm. respects. So I think with that, um, does anyone have any notes, some final notes for, for this series of The Punisher? Yeah. I know I do. Yep, I, I have one definitely, which I think is a wonderful music choice. One of my favorite bands, Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, have a great song in this episode. You may remember Creedence from the wonderful Big Lebowski. It had two fantastic songs in that movie. They're a great 70s band. I've been listening to their music for many, many years, probably actually since the first time I saw that movie. That might age me a bit. Um, but the song that was chosen for this episode is called Penthouse Pauper. It's the moment where Billy is burning down his uh, his apartment and his, his entire business and killing many, many members of the, uh, of the Homeland Security who've come to take him away. The idea here is that the song is called Penthouse Pauper. This is Billy Russo. This entire song is about Billy Russo. He's come from the streets. He's been an orphan. He was orphaned or left on his own by his mom. He built his way up to the penthouse, to the uh, surrounded by money, and now he's breaking back out of that again. It's it's just a perfect choice. I love when these kind of songs are chosen, uh, sitting over the top of a of, of a scene, and it's fab. I love I love that seventies vibe out of it as well. Sets up the episode really, really well, as we talked about with it being much more of a 70s New York within Daredevil as well as as, uh, as Punisher. But it does feel like a great setting of this of this showdown of the Godfather order of, of those types of movies from the 70s. It works really well. Yeah. And speaking of Billy's penthouse pauperness, um, we have a whiskey watch here. We have Baron's Whiskey being used not only as a libation, but also used as, as a mild uh, disinfectant to clean out the, the wounds left by Homeland Security from Madani, I think. So, yes. uh, yeah. Um, we, Madani we did get a shot into him, and yeah. a bullet into him, and uh, he got a bullet back into Madani. Um, yes, I'm not sure if Baron's Whiskey is a real whiskey or not. I was trying to look it up to see uh, where it's from. Uh, there is a, a very, very small brewery in New York called Baron's that make a whiskey, but I think it's like a home brewery, so I don't think that's that's the one. The label doesn't look the same, but um, but quite interesting that we have a whiskey watch. We kind of had Food Watch go by the wayside after about episode six, where they stopped eating and just started shooting each other. <laughs> um, yeah, and one of the other notes I have is, again, real great continuity um, in, in this episode. Uh, like right at the end where, where Frank is... Um, is dropping Micro back to, to his home. And it's weird how things just kind of hit you. Um, but he has a scar on the side of his head above his ear, uh, which is the one that Micro stitched up after the hotel uh, shootout uh, in the episode Danger Close. Oh, right. And I just thought, that's just fantastic. Like, the you know, we're talking about attention to detail, quality of, you know, the direction, the, the acting... The, the scripts and again you know this production element uh, this continuity element it's still there they, they've, they've put it on him you know mm-hmm. and I think in a season or in a series where you have so much beatings uh, wounds and everything to have those things kind of stay there is really cool yeah yeah totally agree totally agree uh, Chris any notes from yourself yeah, a quick one for myself was just a nice kind of callback to Jigsaw being Jigsaw from the comic books. Um, in a lot of his kind of action shots, kind of portraits, you'll see Jigsaw with a gun and a knife, one mm-hmm. in each hand. So here, seeing on the carousel, it coming down to a pistol and a, a knife for Billy. I don't know. It was a nice callback that those yeah. usually are Jigsaw's. 
he always does have a knife or like a combat knife of some kind. So mm-hmm. I just thought it was a nice kind of pull callback there, if you will. Just quickly, whilst you're on knives, that was a really cool moment where his Assassin's Creed blade goes through um, Frank's forearm, actually. Oh, wow, where yeah. It just pops out. Like, I think, well, Frank's pushing his, a knife towards his eyeball. Yeah. Like, that was a really sort of edge-of-the-seats moment and then just punctured by this. Do you know what works so well about that knife? I think I forget every single time that he has it. He used it four times in the series, I think, uh, four quite big times in the series. I keep forgetting it's there, hidden away, his hidden blade to uh, to puncture the arm of Frank was a great moment in the episode, yeah. No, I, I loved it. And I, th- I thought they could have gone down the route of him opening his eyes in the last scene and pulling off the Invisible Man bandages. I so <laughs> like that they didn't. I yes. have to say, I have to say that. Yeah, very happy with that. And then finally, Derek reminded me of this. Uh, and I think it's the time we have a quick discussion, gentlemen. Mm. So now we're at the end. I think it was in episode three I said, let's talk about our favorite Punisher so far. Yes. We have a few of them. So we have Dolph Lundgren, Thomas Jane, Ray Stevenson, and of course, now John Bernthal. It is so weird. I never knew that Dolph Lundgren had played the Punisher. And maybe I'm glad that he didn't. I don't know the quality of uh, the Punisher. Oh, wow. Um, it was anything like uh, the Ray Stevenson outing? No, the, the, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher was back in the late 80s and was very much his star vehicle to make him as big an actor as Sylvester Stallone. The I, fact that you haven't heard of it? probably shows you how much of a star vehicle it was, unfortunately, for, for Dolph Lundgren's big breakthrough. There's actually some great lines and some great moments in the film. I do remember watching it as a kid. My introduction, to be honest, to The Punisher was probably that movie more than the comic books. Um, so I do remember many great lines in there, but they were trying very, very hard to squeeze this movie or squeeze this character in the movie. Interestingly, they, um, one of the reasons why Marvel has the ability to do The Punisher was from... Um, from that movie being made and then Thomas Jane's movie being made, they eventually got the rights back to be able to do their own Punisher, which was Ray Stevenson doing his version of the Punisher after Thomas Jane. Uh, that was one of Marvel Studio films. Warzone, yes. Yeah. Um, but let's not talk about that mistake. Well, <laughs> well we, might, we might want to talk about it. Gentlemen, who are your favourites of so the four I'm, Punishers I'm, so I'm going to... Honourable mention, uh, obviously, Ray Stevenson and Dolph Lundgren they it's history it was yep. good incarnations while we had them their version of superhero punters coming in at number two the silver medal it has to be John Bernthal <gasps> and I know this is gonna get what I love his character <laughs> I talked about him and I think he is fantastic but for me nothing encapsulates Frank more I think now in the when I think of the comic book Punisher I think Thomas Jane. I think of the actual Punisher 2004 film and then the follow-up, which was the short um, set in the dry cleaners, Dirty Laundry. Dirty Laundry, yeah. Uh, which I think was like two years later. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was 12, 2012. So it was a few good few years later. He will always, to me, be the Punisher. And I think it's also because I love him in The Expanse and I love him in quite a lot of his other things as an actor. He encapsulate what I think is the Punisher should be from a comic book perspective. Now, John Bernthal is fantastic in 
this and the growth of this character, they've made him, of they've expanded the Punisher lore for me. They've expanded the character. But yes, I, I'm going to say, first and foremost, gentlemen, I'm sorry to say, will always be Thomas Jane. I think part of the reason why you probably think of Thomas Jane as closely related to the Punisher as you do is most likely because he was used as the model for many, many front covers of the Punisher. And that's around the time when he got working on the Punisher. They realized the look was so similar that they uh, that they started to use him on, on the covers from some of the Punisher Max issues. Um, he is a great Punisher. I do like Thomas Jane as the Punisher. I think a lot of people, he's, he's maligned a lot by fans of the Punisher because of the film itself, because of the character of Saint, played by uh, John Travolta, who was... Fantastic. In, he was in that phase of... So good. Quite a big character in a small movie and playing it really big. He can be fantastic in films. And I really like the Thomas Strange films, don't get me wrong. Um, what he did in that Punisher has much closer ties to the comic book Punisher than even John Bernthal's version of it does. But John Bernthal is my absolute Punisher. From now on, I don't want to see anybody else play the character until John Bernthal gets too old. Just like most of the Marvel actors, uh, I, they are perfectly cast, and I think they've really hit on something in John Bernthal that makes him work so well as Frank Castle and as the Punisher. Well, here we go. At number four is Dolph Lundgren for me, because A, I've never seen that movie, and B, <laughs> I didn't even know that he had been the Punisher. But he is my number one for Universal Soldier, um, <laughs> as well as Rocky, one of the numbers that come after it. I think Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Yeah. So, you know, Dolph Lundgren, number four for a great performance in Universal Soldiers. Uh, Ray Stevenson is number five. Because <laughs> oh, I unfortunately, I did see that film. Um, and it's actually... I kind of didn't mind him as the character, but the film was just so woeful. There was no vehicle for him to do that. Um, and, and I mean, get- even with Dominic West, I mean, like he's been so many good things and he was horrific. I really like Dominic West from The Wire, from a range of other uh, TV shows mm-hmm. as well. And I was just like, oh my God. So Punisher Warzone is genuinely the worst thing that Dominic West has ever, <laughs> ever been involved in. No, no, in. he has done Oxford Blue as no, well, no. where he was Donald McDonald, <laughs> uh, which I watched and wanted to then probably cut my eyes out um, after seeing it, yes. But then he did The Wire and all was redeemed. And in joint first, quite frankly... Uh, I'm missing out three and two um, because they're different mediums. That's what I'm going to say. So I am actually an okay. If anyone is going to pip it, if I can't do my usual thing where I pick two, even though I'm supposed to only pick one, if anyone's going to pip it, it is also Thomas Jane for me. Loved that movie so much, but I think that's the distinction I make. It was a movie. It was certainly a lot longer ago. I loved John Travolta in that. Kill me now. Shoot me down. Absolutely. I love the two of them. So Thomas Jane does just pip it for me. But actually, I would say he's joint first because I do think with John Bernthal, you know, we've just had like close to 13 hours of him playing this character, which is even more than Thomas Jane. And as a result, you get a completely different experience 
um, you could argue a richer experience from it. So, you know, for me, those two are, are, are joint one. I'm going to take them both. Wow. I think The Expanse might have warped both of your minds about how amazing Thomas Jane was. <laughs> he is great. I absolutely love him. No, but John I... Bernthal is, I, I said, Emmy Award winning after watching the series through the first time. I said he absolutely should be the first Emmy Award winning Marvel actor, Oscar Award winning Marvel actor if TV could be up for Oscars. John Bernthal's performance in this TV show deserves to be getting every award out there. He's done a beautiful portrayal of the character in this entire series. Absolutely. But I love Thomas J too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it's when he did it and it's that period of time in your life. Yeah. With that, and I did ban the phrase with that bombshell because it came from Top Gear. But <laughs> with that, John, do you defend the final episode of The Punisher, Memento Moro on Netflix? And what are your overall thoughts on the series? I do defend the final episode of The Punisher. I am giving this five shit magnets out of five <laughs> of the highest order. Um, well, because to me, this rounded off for a you know a final episode where sometimes you know you don't quite know what you're going to get. Um, I, I love the fact that they did kind of you know. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Aftermath aspect where they kind of went through everything. I thought that was really good. I thought it really meaningful and you really did get a sense of these characters coming back for a season two, which got me excited. Um, I loved the showdown between Punisher and Russo. I loved the swag of Russo. I loved the heart of Curtis uh, and, and the bravery of Curtis, the absolute determination of Frank Castle, the doggedness of madani and the sheer techno wizardry and, and just emotionalness that micah and his reunion uh, with his family uh, brought i just really enjoyed it i thought it was a fantastic ending for a great run of series as i've said previously for me i don't feel there has been a dip in this series, like mm -hmm. we've kind of sometimes noticed in some of the other defenders. Chris certainly has pointed uh, that out previously. So for me, this has been an absolutely fantastic series. I'm in agreement with you, Derek. I really do feel that this is deserving of an award. I think it has covered so many different themes and issues, not on the nose so much. Um, you know, it's asked open questions so that people can think about different issues that have been raised. And I think the quality of writing, show running, direction, uh, acting has been absolutely fantastic for this show. I can't wait for season two. Mm -hmm. So yes, with this, Chris, do you defend this final episode of The Punisher, Memento Mori? Yes, I 100% defend this final episode of The Punisher. I'll get to my thoughts in a second about the overall series. Mm -hmm. um, so this final episode was perfect it wrapped up a lot of things now I say perfect in the regard of there's some shortcomings i.e. Madani's dad and things like that that just probably lay on the cutting room floor somewhere when they were trying to do a few edits there was mm -hmm. probably a scene where Madani was like okay we'll take him to my father he's a doctor blah 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 something like that there was just this is the one thing what happens when you take the difference between a two-hour film 
versus a 13-hour show with different writers. In a film, you have one writer particularly who can thread everything through, etc. Mm. Here, what we have is a number of writers, but a writer at the beginning and the first, and then a writer at the end being the same, and then some story points in the middle that are sometimes lost. So this was perfect because Lightfoot managed to... He concluded the stories that he wanted to conclude in this season. Um, and that was what we wanted. That was the ending of this arc, this story of the Punisher's life. And the Punisher also growing as a person, I think, is interesting. The Punisher's yeah. character growth, not even growing as a person, because he's still not a nice person. He's a, not, he's a good person, maybe, but not a nice person. <laughs> um, so, yes, it, w- it was a great end and final episode to this season. Overall thoughts on the series? I'm going to be very honest, and I think that our fellow defenders probably got this throughout. Like, I wasn't 100% bought in at the beginning, um, and I think I kind of said that it was just not fully clicking with me. Uh, I don't know if that was to do with the pacing that we watched the show or uh, things like that. Um, I know our pacing does... It, it helps and hinders. It allows us to do a lot more thought into each episode, but it hinders the binge element that they usually want in a lot of these uh, series. But I think it was more because I'm not a typical CIA noir thriller type of person in my TV shows. And that's essentially what this was. I enjoy the comic book universe, but this was very separated. There, Yes, we had a crossover from Karen, but there was no real mentions of the incident. There was no mentions of even Luke Cage-esque body armor, things like that, which I was kind of hoping for to a degree. And if it wasn't heroin, maybe it had been something else and they could have connected it through to the upcoming season of Jessica Jones. Or it could have been something like that. It was illegal experiments that they were running and they were killing the people because they knew about the exp- something to connect it. As a self-contained series, you could do this without the Punisher, to a degree. I mean in that you could take the characters and not call him the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. And it would still be a fantastic series with the same actors. And Like, I'm not just taking away from anything. Um, I just felt it could have done with more threading to the overall and the larger universe that is, in this case, the, the Netflix universe. Mm. Yeah. But hopefully that's a season two. That's maybe what they're setting up. And I suppose time will tell on that. So it took me a while to get into it. And I will say that. And I think our, our fellow defenders and you guys understood that. It took me a bit of time to understand why I enjoyed each of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. In the end, I did. And I think I've said this to a number of people who likes superhero shows and they're like, oh, I gave up after an episode two. I'm like, no, there's a real gem. There's a real diamond in there because I think there's something there that transcends standard superhero TV, if you will. Because yeah. so a lot of people think of superhero TV. They think of Black Lightning. They think of CW shows. They, they think they don't think of, the 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 mental anguish that we saw in Jessica Jones and the psychological horror there. Mm-hmm. They don't you don't think about the gun violence and the racism that you see in Luke Cage. 
And yeah. here you don't think of, you just hear Marvel, Netflix, and violence. You don't think about this thread in the story of a man, of people coming veterans, of gun violence, of terrorism, uh, homeland terrorism, things like that. You don't, you don't think of these small gems. So that is the diamonds that are there. Unless they've been watching Black Lightning, which is a really good show, actually. Of, of all the CW shows. But anyway. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I'm not taking away from Black Lightning, but I really enjoy what I've watched so far. It, it's interesting as well, because I actually do think that The Punisher, I know you don't necessarily think it is connected in, Chris, but I actually think that The Punisher is most like Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that. Yeah. In, in the sense that, Jessica's not connected to the drugs from Daredevil, but you get Luke Cage and you have that connection. And here you have, yeah, you have Deb Brown Wall with, with Karen Page. I think it's probably still a bit more distant than Jessica, absolutely. But I also think Jessica, in a sense, doesn't really connect to the other um, Defenders series in the same way either. And I think that's why, uh, I think in Defenders you had her really have to get inserted into that other than with Luke Cage. Absolutely. Yeah. You've heard our thoughts. You've heard from me. You've heard from John. Derek, please tell us, do you defend this final episode of The Punisher, Memento Mori? And what are your overall thoughts of this series? I absolutely defend this episode of, of The Punisher. I've said it's one of the best things that I've seen um, this, this final moment of, of the season particularly. But I love how it was wrapped up. I, I said a couple episodes ago that one of the things I was looking forward to in the 13th episode was that mix where it's not just the battle. It's also the groundwork laid for season two. And it's also the wrap up for the stories that aren't going to continue into season two. I can see how this would end with um, with David Lieberman, I can see how that closes down the micro story and potentially this will continue with Frank Castle and Dina Madani working together in the next season where Dina Madani replaces micro as his eyes and ears uh, within the system, I suppose. Um, and I like that. I think that's a really nice idea. I don't, it's not that I don't want to see David Lieberman back in the future, but I like that you could leave him behind now. His story's over. He doesn't need to work with Frank anymore. I like how they close that down. Um, I like the moment with Billy and Frank finally facing off against each other in this episode. I think it was it was poignant, it was difficult to watch, it was tough, but I like the choice that's made by Frank here to not kill Billy, to punish him instead, and the best way to punish him is making him live with his actions. Um, I think that's a really good way of rounding out the series. It's not about shooting everybody in the head, blowing buildings up, it's about making sure they're forced to live with the punishment that he's given to them or dealt to them. Um, really liked it overall. I did have an entire episode at the beginning of the season, which was my spoiler-free preview of the 13 episodes before it was out uh, on, on Netflix. So I have given my thoughts on what I thought overall in the season. And watching it back the two or three times I've now watched it is actually pushing this up there alongside Jessica Jones as my favorite of the, of the shows. Uh, it's, again, not saying that Daredevil season one and two are bad. They're great, great shows. It's not saying that Luke Cage is bad. It's a great show. It's not saying that Iron Fist is bad. But... This has now jumped right up to the top tier of Netflix television, not just Marvel Netflix television. This is one that I have now watched three times. I'll watch again. Jessica Jones is now one I've watched four or five times, and I'm really excited for Jessica Jones season two. I'm kind of there with, with Frank Castle and the characters. If they keep this team of writers around them, keep this team of actors that are trying to deliver something special and something interesting and different every time, 
we're going to have a great season two when it comes in the future. This is uh, this was one of the best things that I've I've seen in the last year. Really, really, really enjoyable and really not enjoyable, thought provoking as well. Um, that's it for our coverage of the Punisher, uh, the thirteen episode season on uh, for season one on Netflix. But we do have some feedback on the on the season to talk about. John, do you want to give us our first piece of feedback? Yes, we've gotten some feedback uh, through uh, our email at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. The email is from Alex Anderson. He goes, hey guys, I noticed something in the last episode that got my brain turning and I can't get it out. Since I have an extra week until you break it down, I've decided to put it out there. During the final battle at the carousel, I noticed that the camera twice focused on the bright full moon overhead. Then Madani shows up and gets shot in the head. And I thought she was dead. However, we see that she has survived and is recovering. Now, the Marvel Netflix shows have not been afraid to change up character origins. So I'm thinking, since we know Madani spent some time in Afghanistan, that maybe she came in contact with something, someone over there that's somewhat mystical, maybe that we haven't seen yet, that changed her. So my theory is that she could take on the Moon Knight role in the Marvel Netflix universe. I know that Mark Spector got his in Egypt, but I kind of like this idea and thought I'd share it with you. What do you think? Am I grasping at straws here? Looking forward to your final Punisher podcast. And I hope Chris feels better soon. Great show, guys. Fellow defender, Alex. Thank you, Alex, uh, so much for that. Um, To be honest, it's really interesting because um, I would, first of all, love to see a Moon Knight uh, show on Marvel. I am certainly on the marvelously mystical side of of marvel um so i would absolutely love to see that and i know that there was speculation previously about whether mark specter would show up in this given the the army element to this uh, mm-hmm. and certainly given that he has a mercenary background uh as well in in, in the comic books that maybe he he's he was there in afghanistan at the same time uh, as frank and, and Russo. So I like that idea because actually, you know, how did Madani survive that gunshot? I mean, certainly it looked like she could potentially die. I'm really glad that she didn't. And yet certainly, you know, she is born into a family who I, th- I think are from Iran. So that is kind of within that ballpark, really. So I like the theory a lot, I have to say. I'm not entirely sure it's going to happen, but I do like it. And I like that idea of the focus in on the moon. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you there, uh, Alex, to be honest. So thank you for chucking out that theory. Alex, thanks so much for sharing the theory. I think it's a wonderful theory. And I love that it's given a great opportunity for the writers of uh, of Punisher season two to possibly use Dina Madani as their Moon Knight. Uh, Moon Knight has been a, a female character in 2099. I think is is the version that's that's female. There's loads of different personalities in his head. I'm sure there's there's a, definitely a female one in there as well. So uh, great theory, Alex. I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's going to happen, but uh, but I do love it. And there's always good things when when you can pull out a little theory and turn it into something that could create a new series. Hey, that's what the writers are paid for in, in Marvel Netflix. So uh, maybe they will take. That up. Yeah, and I'll just jump in here to say uh, thank you, Alex. I am feeling a lot better, so I really appreciate the kind words. And um, 
as much as I want to see Moon Knight in the Netflix universe, he and probably will come at a later point. I don't think this is probably how they do it. I think what we'll get is a typical, the typical Mark Spector esque storyline versus changing it to Dean Madani. But I like where your head's at. Always keep looking for those Easter eggs. Hashtag Madani is Spectre. Madani is Spectre. Love it. <laughs> uh, Chris, do you want to take our next piece of feedback? Yes. So over on Facebook, we had Robert Phillips write in, and he had to say, the final episode of The Punisher was a well-worked conclusion of all the themes of the series. We had betrayal, PTSD, the death and resurrection of a major character, the return of soldiers from war, and the partial victory of law and justice, and some sex. (laughs) The pretty boy is disfigured, so his exterior reflects his evil insides. It's something I struggle a lot with as a trope. Side quote, yep, I'm with you there, Robert, but this is different. Back to what Robert said, he went on to say there are many people who have an immense handicap in the world because of this myth and the variations of it. I'm sure it's not the fault of the bunch of creators, though it's making me ambivalent about the second season, if Russo the Bad will be Frank's evil nemesis. Robert goes on to say, across the whole arc, I thought it built well to the various conclusions. My favourite themes where the way the soldiers unable to move on was played to so many people, and how micromanage redemption and bravery in a different way. Thank you very much, Robert. Yep, the overall pretty boy being disfigured trope, it's been around a while, but Jigsaw's character is actually pretty good, so if I I recommend anything, jump in, read some of the Punisher um, comic books and graphic novels that he's in. I can't off the top of my head think of any ones in particular, but there's a whole list there. I'd go have a look. He's a solid character, Mm-hmm. The whole pretty boy piece is actually a good playing on who he is and what happens. So do do check it out. Don't don't write this one off just yet. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for the feedback, Robert. That's really good, uh, really good stuff. Uh, I know you've been with us all the way through the season. Uh, I'm sure you're as happy as we are to have watched the full season overall. That overall done a really good job. Yeah, thank you, Robert, so much for all the feedback over this series. It's been really, really good to mm-hmm. to hear from you. And our final piece of feedback comes from Michael Booth over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Michael says, I finally got through this in the weekend and where was that ending brutal? I expected Russo to go through a window or something, not to be purposely mangled as, as punishment. It does work, though. Only part that I didn't like was Madani showing up at the carousel. Why? What did she do other than get shot? And by walking into a gunfight and shouting freeze and wait for Russo to turn around, smile and shoot her in the face, come on. No way she wouldn't just take him out from behind, law enforcement officer or not. That's a really interesting point, actually. Yeah, I know that that moment with Madani getting shot was just a shocker. It was a real surprise. I think they kind of needed that moment between the two of them to close out their relationship, to have a little moment where they're finally able to do a bit of a little moment between between them after everything they've been through in the season. But it did feel superfluous. It did feel uh, not necessary. Um, But... At least she was there, I suppose. At least she was there at the end. Um, she did have a lot going on with, with Billy throughout the season. Uh, and to just get that one shot into his shoulder last episode probably wouldn't have felt as satisfying to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you saw in her eyes the what Billy Russo meant to her after she'd found out that he had shot Stark. 
I'm sorry, killed Stein uh, and, and knifed him to death, you do get the feeling she would have just gone in for the shot, the takedown shot mm-hmm. or the kill shot. Absolutely. Um, and it, it almost feels like potentially she was the distraction so that Russo had to turn away from Frank to allow Frank to come in uh, uh, and get him uh, in, in that kind of uh, sequence of, of the fighting on the carousel. But um, yeah, it, it was kind of a weird one, definitely. Absolutely. And uh, Michael goes on to say, overall, I thought this whole season was great television. I'm struggling to say that it was fun and that I enjoyed it, but it was definitely a heavy hitter with a solid cast and writing and covered interesting ground. We'll be waiting to see what they do in season two. Thanks so much for that feedback, Michael. Um, thanks so much for all, for all the feedback we received. Just a little shout out to Larry Willie Swink and Lieutenant Floby, who've both been in contact this week to say they're starting out our Punisher reviews at episode one this week. So just as we finish, they're kicking off their uh, their following. So I wanted to leave a little uh, hello to them at the end of this because we won't be receiving your feedback uh, as we're recording. So uh, thanks so much to everyone that's left feedback throughout the season this this year. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much to everyone who who has sent in their feedback. It's really interesting to get your thoughts on, on these shows and certainly one so different from the majority of the Defenders uh, series that we've seen up till now. Yes, and all I can ask is don't forget to continue to give us feedback. Come on over to the Facebook group where you can talk to us and other fellow Defenders and tell us your thoughts. If you're only starting at Daredevil Season 1, or if you've made it all the way to Punisher episode 13, come over, talk to us, give us your feedback. And of course, don't forget, we're going to have the Black Panther very soon. And we'll be wanting to discuss all of the theories and how it all leads up to the Affinity War. While we're talking about upcoming shows, uh, one interesting one that we're going to be doing coming up, a little bit of an announcement for us, uh, we will be talking about the Doctor Strange comic book event coming up called uh, Damnation, uh, which will feature Doctor Strange, Ghost Rider, Iron Fist and Moon Knight in a big event to celebrate this awesome combination of Marvel heroes. We're doing a big combination of awesome podcasts to take you through each of the issues of this Damnation series. Um, we'll be covering the Doctor Strange book, which is Doctor Strange Damnation, uh, issues one to four. Um, we'll be g- teaming up with Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, Iron Fist podcast, and the Ghost Rider podcast to discuss each of those pieces. And when put together, all four of the podcasts together will be covering the entire series of Damnation. That's coming up. Um, the first issue of that is coming out on the 21st of February and then runs through a couple of months. So you'll see our reviews of Doctor Strange appearing in your feed on Defenders TV podcast. Just wanted to let you know. Uh, we'll talk more about that in the future uh, as we get closer to the event itself. But just wanted to let you know that it's coming up as well. And don't forget... To close out, this season we've been talking mostly about one particular family members, your grannies and your granddads, because we know, and you know, every granny and granddad loves a good old Punisher story. So don't forget to share the love, share the Punisher, share our podcast with the world by telling your granny all about us and saying that I particular, Chris Jones, a sick child, was asking her to listen to us and tell her, her thoughts about the Punisher. So don't forget, share the podcast where you can. Subscribe over on iTunes or any good or evil podcast catcher around the world. And then more importantly, tell everyone because we will be back very soon. 
Thank you again, fellow Defenders, for joining us for this 13-episode series. Again, just to remind you, if you're subscribed to Punisher on Defenders TV Podcast over on iTunes, make sure you subscribe to Defenders TV Podcast. You can get the link at our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com, just so you don't miss out on our future thoughts. Uh, We'll be coming back uh, around the 15th of, of February with the Black Panther, and then we'll be coming back in regular episodes on the 8th of March and after with Jessica Jones Season 2. Looking forward to that one. And thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, guys. And we'll speak to you very soon. Yeah, as always, thank you so, so much for listening. I'm off to visit my gran with uh, a packet of custard creams and a quarter of Uncle Jones mint balls. We're going to watch The Punisher together. <laughs> she has a bazooka by her bed. <laughs> we will speak to you again soon, soon after the 15th of February. Bye. 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 I hear a lot of people saying the blues, the blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is. When you ain't got no money, you got the blues. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 135, about the final episode of... No, I didn't. <laughs> Stick to the script. Yeah. And up. Oh. Up. Bright eyes, big smile. <laughs> Welcome back, Defenders, to this, our final episode of Defenders TV Podcast, looking at The Punisher. Season 1, episode 13. The final episode of Defense. I know, I just really, as soon as I was like... I, I really like the lead into this. Um, uh, because the way, the way it went about is... You, they go into the bathroom and you think she's about to lay into Micro. She's going to basically... <laughs> well, she did. <laughs> but that's why he's Steve Lightfoot, not Steve Heavyhand. <laughs> Damn it, there we couldn't go. get it out. That is perfect. I think after killing... Um... Rollins. Nope. Other kid. Uh, kid. Oh, Eric. um, no. Eric in the head, no. Uh, Colin? <laughs> Colin. <laughs> There's never been a Colin Lewis. in all of Marvel. Lewis, there that's it.